Spinning Around is broadcasting on the land of its traditional custodians, the Wandry people. We respect their past, present, and ongoing relationship with the land for the many, many, many generations to come. Please consider making a donation to pay the rent or the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and help the wonderful folks that provide the much-needed resources for the mob today. If you'd like some music in return for your donation, check out the Spinning Around Bandcamp and grab the 2021 Alumni VA compilation for $10 as all proceeds will be going to both charities monthly. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy the show. It's Spinning Around. You're listening to Spinning Around with Hailey Minogue on Area 3000. Hey everyone, and welcome back for another week of Spinning Around. It's me, Harley Minogue, aka Hyung, and I'm hoping that you're all enjoying your Monday as best as you can. And if you haven't, let me help you out with a couple of big chats and big mixes with a couple of amazing artists from home and abroad. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right to it. My first guest is a Montreal-based DJ, producer, and radio host from across the Pacific in lovely, lovely Canada. Starting out as a selector broadcasting mixes and playing live, some of her many highlights include performances for Foundation FM, Rinse France, Igloo Fest, Picnic Electronic, Red Bull, and Exclaim as well. While gigs have been on the back burner through the pandemic, she self-released a debut four-track EP called Anti-Ego, which now also has a remix album featuring the likes of Mish, Ori, Sim, Koreatown Acid and Lucro. Both of these releases are serious heat that you should be adding to your arsenal, folks. DJs that are well into their dance hall left field and footwork can thank me later. After hearing and seeing the video for Brand New Flavor featuring King Shadrock on 4.3's YouTube, I just had to know more. And indeed, we do have the pleasure of getting to know more about this fantastic artist tonight. My guest is none other than Tiana, aka Honey Trip. Hey, Honeydrip, welcome to the show. How are you going? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Nice intro. (laughs) Thank you very much. Well (laughs) described. Yes. Do you feel like it's accurate about your uh, careers thus far? Very, very much accurate. Yeah. Especially, uh, you know, no many, not many gigs happening anymore, like you're saying, but like it's been a nice opportunity to to release music and debut in that era. Uh, Are all your gigs canceled now at the moment? Um... Yes, they are. <laughs> I had uh, actually three of the biggest gigs of my life that were about to, well, of my career, you know, that were about to happen. Uh-huh. Um, and then all three of them got canceled within a week. Do you mind revealing to us what those were? Is that possible? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, so one of them was uh, just like a gig I was really excited to do, which was going to be with Koreatown Acid mm. and DJ Marcel for New Year's. Oh, no shit. Nice. Yeah, so that that was going to be really a special night, I think, just musically. Um, there's like so much genres that we all represent mm-hmm. and we're, we're all very eclectic. So it could have been really a nice New Year's. And I was looking forward to that because I'm really good friends with uh, Koreatown Acid as well. So to oh, be able nice. to spend that with her would have been nice. Yeah, sweet. Um, otherwise, I had one of my highest paid gigs, which was um, a virtual kind of gig that had grant money, which is why there was such a big payout for me. When you say virtual, are we talking like like VR metaverse kind of virtual or... Kind of. Well, it was like a. I was going to be filmed, but they were going to put it in some form of a like a not necessarily metaverse, but I think there was like some sort of virtual live stream. Oh, cool! Nice thing that they were going to do. I don't want to reveal too much because okay. I know that it's postponed. Mm-hmm. Um, but till when I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was going to be the first time that I am not an opener for a festival, so I was going to be second on the lineup of a festival with Sherelle. Whoa! Wow! Yeah. Damn! What's this festival? Uh, that was for Igloo Fest. 
Oh, no shit. Okay, right. Yeah, which is canceled it's a, this that's year. It's a pretty decent festival over in Montreal, from what I've heard. Yeah, um, like it's one of the, the festivals that I find the booking to be really creative in comparison to other festivals in Montreal. Because a lot of them, like, for, for instance, I'm not going to talk hate, but Oshiaga <laughs> has some sort of deal with certain artists. So every year, it's always the same artists on the headline, oh. which I find very strange. Mm. <laughs> Whereas like some like people that work at Igloo Fest and Picnic, I find they really make an effort to have diverse bookings and change it up and, and follow the trends, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. well, so I, I respect that. Is Igloo Fest... Um somewhat independent on their errand as well because i know that picnic electronic like um we have uh some kind of picnic electronic series um over in melbourne as well and uh features some amazing international artists it really does bring over some great talent and also showcases a lot of um, incredible local talent as well um but for you guys like is it more uh how do i say internationally focused or locally focused for you uh for these two festivals it's it's Honestly, I'd say the perfect mix of both because they do have certain rules in terms of booking um, local artists. Like, for example, Picnic Electronic. I'm not sure if they still go by this rule because things are so different now. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you couldn't play as a local artist two times in a row, like two years in a row. Oh, wow. So, okay. wow. Yeah. So it was just like in a sense that it's like it forces them to find, okay, well, who else is there that we could book? We're yeah. not going to try to monopolize certain artists that they always get the festival bookings and then other local artists don't. So I really thought that rule was cool. True. Um, and, you know, they, they they always have, like, a local person opening. They ha they'll have often, like, a, um, a headliner that's international for sure. But, like, there's always a local person on pretty much every single lineup. I didn't know that they had that rule. That's actually quite interesting. Like, yeah. on the face of it, I when I when I initially heard that from you, I I, I sort of uh, winced a little bit because I was like, oh, but then, you know, what if someone was decent and they, you know, could do well again in another year? But now that you explain the rationale to me, it makes a lot of sense. We do um, even ourselves in this city suffer. Uh, I don't know who's listening, <laughs> but I, I hope they're listening. It's fine. Um, we do suffer a little bit of uh, lineup monopolization, um, mm -hmm. like you said. There are definitely a handful of names, perhaps maybe attached to an agency, that do that do love to sit and live and never pay rent on the top three lines of a uh, bill poster for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot of people do wince when I first say that, actually. But it's true that there there are some really big perks to to just being forced to diversify, being forced to look what else there is. Oh, by the way. Um, you mentioned that gig with Koreatown Acid before, mm -hmm. and uh, I was listening back to this uh, remix EP that you put out. By the way, congratulations. Thank you so much. It's fantastic, by the way. I really, really enjoy it. <laughs> um, Koreatown Acid's remix. It really works. It's incredible. <laughs> She's really good with the down tempo vibes. Mm -hmm. uh, she she was a, like a, a trained pianist. W what about you? Have you been trained in any uh, musical instruments in your life? No, I actually have like no musical training, and I can't seem to get music theory to stick in my mind. But I'm also not trying that hard either. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So, you know, I can't be too hard on myself for that. Yeah. I've just like I have a I have a background in dancing and cheerleading. I was oh, a cheerleader no for six years. Wow, no shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay. Uh we we don't have a lot of cheerleaders or cheerleader culture um over in Australia. I think at all. But oh. is it really like it is in the movies? As in, you know, it's kind of like quite a clicky sort of situation and you're very popular if you're like a cheerleader. What was the high school uh, environment like? So in Canada, it's it's not really comparable to the U.S. either. Like the, the culture there is like at its strongest in USA. Yeah. Um, but here we try to imitate it a bit. Um, in my high school, no, it didn't make me popular. But when... I was in college, I did notice that there was a bit more of that, like, you know, we, we'd all wear our little like cheerleading jackets, uh, mm-hmm. like, and we'd walk down the halls and people like be like, oh, those are the cheerleaders. You know? So like <laughs> in college, I felt it a little more, um, but not in high school. Did you get it like a weird power trip from that? No, no. Just- <laughs> <laughs> it well, gives a pep in my step. <laughs> yes. Yes. I see. So. The release that you put out, for those who didn't hear in the intro, that was called Anti-Ego. Explain to me the title of this, uh, because Anti-Ego, I think, there is a larger conversation um, just among local scenes about, like, um, the need to sort of reduce your ego um, in this way. Uh, I'm of the opinion that I think a balance um, is often quite nice. But what's your take on this? Uh, What influenced you to title this Anti-Ego? So... One part of it was, uh, you know, I've been DJing for a really long time. I started in like 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I mean, I consider it to be a long time <laughs> for me. <laughs> but anyways, and uh, like since I had kind of built a reputation for myself based off of like being a DJ in, in my city, uh, there was certain expectations or at least maybe there were just expectations that I were putting on my that I was putting on myself, but like expectations to release like good music because I already had a reputation as a DJ, even though a lot of people don't realize that the two aren't necessarily like the, like synonymous, like yeah. being a producer and being a DJ, it requires very different skills. Very different. Yeah. Um, and so it was just like, it was just me trying to, trying to bring down the ego of like what I thought people expected of me and like to not have the pressure of like my first release being like, like super super good you know because i am a new newborn producer and i and i and i'm just accepting that that's what it is and i'm gonna get better and people are gonna see that as i continue to produce they'll be able to see my progress in the music that i make you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that was one part of it and also calling out ego in the scene itself too because it could be pretty toxic when there's ego involved in the music industry 100 100 percent. so i'm just kind of like also placing myself on like I'm not on the ego side. So anyone that's <laughs> all up in that ego stuff, like don't message me. <laughs> oh shit. Well, I mean, perhaps I should not have messaged you. I, <laughs> I myself, um, I, I see, I totally understand where you're coming from with this because, uh, there are a lot of, uh, DJs out there that I think feel that pressure. Like, you, well, like you did about, uh, if they do go into production, um, that they need to be sounding 100% from the get-go. Um, mm-hmm. And even just the pressure um, to start producing, you know, full stop. I find that a lot of producers have told me that they actually started producing because they felt like it would get them more gigs. Um, do you feel like that's been the case for you? Yeah, 
I think so. Yeah. Like, well, it, once again, it's hard to to say because of the pandemic. Um, but in general, it has been bringing me places and connecting with me with people at a rate that was wasn't happening for all of the like the six years prior to me starting to produce. Mm. Um, it's it, and within this year, well, within since I released it, like in July, there's just been so many opportunities coming my way, um, and I think it's just my music has been able to kind of show a lot more who I am and what I'm capable of. Yeah. And there's people that resonate with the sound that I'm that I'm sharing, you know? So Hell yeah. So it's definitely been helpful. And can we potentially talk about that release that you're about to have uh, very soon with a label that I'm a big fan of, Early Reflex? Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome because Early Reflex um, released one of my favorite uh, releases last year, Call, um, by Symbolic. Mm. Um I feel as though that if they have placed their trust in you uh, for a release, then uh, I can expect great things. What's what's on the table? What's um, going on? So it's just it's just one song. It's going to be one of their compilations coming out this year. Um, and how we ended up connecting is I joined this Discord oh. uh, for All Center. Oh, the label yeah, yeah, in the yeah. UK. I, I think Sabolic yeah. does a lot of stuff on there as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really cool artists that are a part of that Discord. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there was this remix competition for one of their um, one of the releases they had, and I joined it. And then Alec, who is uh, the head of uh, Early Reflex, right, uh, ended up liking my song because like we shared it all after, and like there was a winner. Um, and anyways, we shared all the songs after and then he took the song and he played it on his radio show. Oh, and then shit. we just kind of started connecting through there. Uh, and then, yeah, he asked me if I wanted to contribute a song. And I was like, yes, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. I'm really excited. Um, what is it? The song? Yeah. Uh, it's this. I started it off with like my micro freak uh synthesizer which i like to use a lot nice nice uh and like i started off with like this weird kind of like phone sample and at first i called it pick up the phone bitch <laughs> <laughs> but then but then like with time i was like oh i don't know like do i want to start having swear words like in my titles am mm. i that kind of artist <laughs> like i have like some kids that maybe listen to my stuff like i don't know <laughs> do you want to be edgy do you want to appeal to the teenagers <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah, and then just with time, it, it started like changing into um, sort of like I still kept the phone sample, but then I added like my voice just kind of like speaking. And I just I, I found it that it kind of turned into like this dreamy song, like as if you're stuck in a dream and like you hear the phone ringing and you think you may have answered it, but like you're not sure and you're not even sure if you're awake. Ooh. So that's kind of just like the vibe of the song to me. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Oh. So I called it Wake the Phone instead. Oh, Wake the Phone. Okay. Uh, or, mm -hmm. I mean, you could always just add bitch at the end of any title. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. true. Brand new flavor, bitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, any more collaborations with King Shadrock? Because that was fucking awesome um yeah he's, he's great is he montreal based too yeah he is he's uh oh, sure. he's my discovery of the year like he's <laughs> such an amazing artist um he's been doing this for like over 20 years wow. i met him at a um, at a reggae night that i i used to bartend at this bar in montreal where there was a reggae night every week 
Cool. And he was like one of the regulars. Uh, and like, you know, the Reggae Night, there was a lot of dance hall that was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just hear him sometimes, like, you know, when I would pass by in the crowd, he was like doing ad libs and he just had like such an insane voice. Yeah. So I like ended up reaching out to him to work with me about a year later and he was down. I sent him brand new flavor, like the instrumental, and he was down with it, which I was very surprised because like he hasn't really done any music like that before, but. He's just very much an an open-minded artist and he wants to help people out and be a part of any project he can, you know, so. works it really, it really works. works yeah as soon as he started recording what, what were you what were you thinking were you like i've hit fucking gold here this is great yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was. um and it's so funny because the way he he showed up it was like um i i was at my friend's studio and he was recording the vocals for me and uh like i gave him the address he shows up with his son who's like about 11 years old oh no shit <laughs> and he's just like oh yeah yeah he's coming along with me and then he just comes we he doesn't even need to warm up or anything we turn on the music he goes for about like 15 minutes in total like with some breaks in between he was only there for 30 minutes and wow. then he left and i was just like okay well and i had like so much stuff like i i just kind of rearranged the vocals in a way that whatever made sense to me but like i just i had like so many vocals from him that i could work with holy shit it was so cool well i'd love to hear um potentially if you could sample any of those in future his voice is gold that's crazy Mm -hmm. good it reminds me of uh sebastian from the little mermaid a bit like the deep, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the deepness. Does, hey. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, now, now I'll never be able to get that out of my head. Thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um. By the way, though, uh, that video of the three D scanning mm-hmm. of both your bodies. Um. For mm-hmm. uh, I think it was Emma Forgs. Um. That just exactly. Holy shit! That was cool. Um. Did you? Were you actually like doing all those moves with like a bodysuit on, like, and they were scanning the whole thing, or no, no? Um, it was uh, it was just like they took a she took a scanning of our body. Um, it took about like ten minutes per person, and mm-hmm. then she animated it herself. So the the dance moves aren't us, right? And so you, you had yeah. to like do a T pose and just stay like that for about ten minutes exactly wow and it was a very cold day <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which it must be pretty fucking cold right now um over where you are yeah that's why i got a blanket ah <laughs> uh, yes is it freezing temperatures like uh below zero? Oh yeah for sure for sure it's uh today it's like negative 18 <laughs> it's been like that all week <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah oh well um it's it seems as though that you're dealing with it well um yeah it's okay if you don't go outside (laughs) how do you even have gigs in that in that uh weather honestly 
It's uh, some people do it, but like you can tell that the DJs are in pain. Like there was actually an event yesterday. I saw that some friends were playing on the Mount Royal, which is like this mountain in the middle of the city. Right. Um, and there's like a kind of like a view and like a kind of like a balcony. And they were playing there. And like you could tell they were all like freezing and oh, like man. having a good time, but also like not. <laughs> Oh yeah, just also like even like Igloo Fest, you know, like sometimes you'll have some videos or like they do some live streams like on the roof of like a building in Montreal and like you like the DJs just look so in pain. (laughs) Yeah, surely that's like borderline human rights abuse, but no, no, no. There there are far worse human rights abuses that we can pay attention to instead of freezing DJs on a rooftop. Yeah, Um, but also congratulations. Speaking of cold, uh, on. BBC Radio One uh, sound system giving your coldest record award uh, for the Lucro remix of Brand New Flavor. That's huge. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. Lucro hooked that up. Thank you. Hell yeah. He's the he's the one that sent the song. Yeah, did you reach out to all those artists on the uh, on the remix album to ask them to do this, or did they sort of come to you and were like, "I, I fucking love this, I want to do this"? So how it started was actually Lucro. Um, who I didn't know prior to to the release, um, ended up following me and like was messaging me, being like, "Oh, brand new flavor is like crazy. Like, I would love to do a remix of this." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Huh? Like, I hadn't thought of doing a remix EP, but I was like, it planted the seed, you know?" Yeah. And then from there, I started thinking about it, and I realized like the advantages of like having a release where I'm not the one that has to make the music. <laughs> <laughs> the easiest, easiest yeah. release. And it's just like, you know, it just it like uplifts us all and it like it gives a new life to my project. So mm-hmm. it's like it, it was a really good idea after all. And then I just kind of ended up reaching out to to like some of my favorite friend producers. They're all people that I like have a, a sort of a relationship with. Like mm-hmm. Sim is a good friend of mine. I've been DJing with him for like five years. We used to be part of a collective called Club Dorks back in the days. Oh, nice. Um, Uri, I've been friends with her for a really long time as well. Mm-hmm. Um Koreatown Acid. I met her in Toronto like a few years back and like, mm. you know, also friends. And then Mish is someone that I met like online uh, just through like the same tastes in music. It's cool that everybody um, on this project seemed to have gotten so involved. And, you know, did you send that song to BBC Radio 1 or did they just pick it up? What happened? Um, from what I understood listening to the to the show itself, Jeremiah was saying like, oh, you know, like in my inbox, like uh, sometimes you just get a song that you can't ignore and it wasn't me (laughs) so So it was lucro that sent it (laughs) okay yeah that's cool but it was really cool that he said that you know like that he was like it sounds like something he's never heard before and that's something that i've been hearing like about my music not like because of course you know I, I fit into certain genres, but mm. apparently there is like a kind of like a sound that that is unique in a, in a sense, and it's cool to know that I seem to be providing that. Hundred percent, and I want to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the reason why I was so attracted to your music at the start was just because when I'd heard Brand New Flavor, I was like, I 
fucking never heard anything like this. Um, this is fantastic. I mean, perhaps I don't listen to enough double or dancehall or digital dancehall or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. in and of itself, I feel as though that the whole EP, um, like you said, well, rather like you described before, has a lot of like left field elements. Um, mm-hmm. And I think left field bass, in my opinion at least, is really starting to get a good push um, recently. There's mm-hmm. a lot of innovation there. Um, which is why I'm so excited that you're getting a release on Early Reflex because they are fantastic for it. Yes, I agree. By the way, also, uh, congratulations. Now that we're talking a little bit about uh, music marketing, congratulations on getting your degree uh, from Concordia <laughs> for oh. marketing and electroacoustic <laughs> studies. Um, yes. What a, <laughs> you did what your a, research or I did. did I say that? <laughs> uh, you said that on uh, Instagram. Um, oh, Okay. <laughs> No, but I, I am also notorious for my research. I apologize. <laughs> I know way too much about you. So <laughs> um, uh, with with marketing and ele- electroacoustic studies, what an interesting pairing of majors. Uh, <laughs> what, what led you to cho- choose those? Um, well, at first, I, th- I kind of set myself out to become an accountant. I thought that that's what I, would, like, what I was going to do. Uh-huh. Because it was like, you know, it was just too scary to... 100% go and be an artist and I wasn't sure like you know I kind of sing a bit like I like to dance a lot like there's a lot of stuff that I just I wasn't sure exactly where I was gonna go so I was like you know what I'll be an accountant in music oh. and then <clears throat> yeah okay. and then I you know I thought it would mean that I would still be a part of like the music industry but I like kind of you know I met some people that were doing that and I started studying in accounting and I was like oh like at the end I'm still crunching numbers whether it's the numbers of a, how much a microphone costs and how much these speakers cost mm-hmm. versus like apples and bananas you know it's it's still numbers so <laughs> so I realized I wasn't into that yeah and then so I, I was already like in a business degree so I switched to marketing because yeah, I, nice. I felt there was more room for creativity yeah um in the end I don't like marketing that much either but but at least I got my degree uh and then halfway through my marketing I was like you know I really since I'm still here for a little bit I I really want to try out this electroacoustics program Mm -hmm. uh because it just there was so many really cool artists from like Montreal that had gone through that program and they had just such sounds that I that I was like attracted to and I wanted to like kind of learn how they were making those sounds you know yeah so I uh, I applied for that and like you had to send in a portfolio and I did the like classical like beginner um, experimental producer thing, <laughs> which in Montreal is to take a recording of the Metro. Oh, of course. Yes. All, <laughs> of course all the I did. field recordings. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I did exactly that. <laughs> And then I did like a like a abstract kind of track with like the lady talking on the metro and like the beep boop boop, um, and I got in. <laughs> <laughs> just just do what everyone else does, and you'll get in. It'll be easy. Yeah. Be- well, I I had that song, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I had like this other thing where I like took a da- like Danny Brown vocals, and I layered like seven different parts of the song all on top of one another and it somehow ended up working out and then i had like this door closing that i was like repeating in the in the track that's cool (laughs) let me guess blunt after blunt no i forget which one it was um very cool i'm glad that you got in yeah Um, electroacoustic studies though um sort of tells me that it's about more you know reverb in a room how that sort of sits like soundproofing things is that the case or was it more production wise no um so we we have some interesting uh teachers in the program 
and like one of them is like someone who's like a huge figure in the electroacoustic uh, world, like since the seventies. His name is Kevin Austin, Ooh. and if he were to describe electroacoustics to you, he would not say that it's music. To him, it is not music. Um, so then, so it's like we could not make things that sounded like music. Like I, I made a beat once, and he failed me. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, so, so what do you make then if you can't make music in an electroacoustic studies degree? You're just like kind of like turning but I like it's so hard to describe but like turning folly into sound and experimenting with like effects and like uh, and distribution like you know all of our our productions would be like um generally eight channel was it i think eight or six channel right so like the goal was really to try to make the music move and like oh. how to program it to sound like it's going around you and like through the speakers because they'd be set up like kind of in a sphere Whoa. um we were playing with like the modular synthesis yeah. uh we were learning about all of like the the electroacoustic artists in, in the past and how they were um, making what they were making you know like we have yeah it's just like a, a a mix of just like really getting into the nitty-gritty of sound yeah and like how like spending like hours on one sound but then it just that those hours end up making that sound become like 10 sounds and then you just kind of blend it all together and it's like you know it sounded like it worked like you you clearly know your way around how to produce sound at the very least you know yeah yeah, for sure. Yeah, even if the way that you learned was completely abstract. It's it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm really, really grateful for that program because I wouldn't be the producer I am today if it weren't for that because, like, I find it's it's given me that edge, like, sonically with, like, the, the way that I, I select sounds in my songs and the way that I place them. Like, I, I've always loved beats and, like, you know, I, I stood there and I tried to give him a beat, you know, and stand my ground and be like, beats nope. are good. But <laughs> Still gonna work. He didn't want to hear it. <laughs> but, like, now I'm like, okay, I can do it in life. I can share beats and take from this program yeah. as well. And, like, I, I met so many, like, amazing producers through this program as well. Yeah. I got to ask, though. Really? Why accounting? Of all the things. That you could have gone. <laughs> I like math. Oh, no shit. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, lovely. I find it fun. But like, I like um, more like the algebra kind of math. That's interesting that you had this um, duality between you of like having an enjoyment for math, which is one of the most logical things that anybody could ever do. And then also <laughs> enjoying uh, dancing, you know, music. Yeah, uh, I mean, that sort of stuff. I enjoy music a lot more than math, that's for sure. But I was just trying to think of like <laughs> what uh, I can like make money off of because when you're younger, you're just trying to think like, okay, like I need to, I need to become an adult and get the house and like all that, you know? Did your parents push that on you when you were younger? Not really, not really. But like society does it enough, huh? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. That's but true. no, I have really like my mom is really supportive uh, of like my my path and like. Still till this day, she's like my number one fan. She comes to my gigs sometimes. Oh, no shit. Um, she's pretty young though, so yep. she's like, um, she's 45. She's 45. And I'm 26. And you're 26. Wow, she's very mm. young. Um, yeah. What was it like having a younger mother growing up? Was it like, I mean, I don't know, because you've never had any other moms. So like, what's the point of asking that question, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there are perks to it, especially like when you become like, 
an adult because then it's like you get to quickly forge kind of a friendship on top of having like the mother daughter thing because mm. it's like we're we're not too far off in our interests um and she's still you know very active so mm-hmm. so it's really nice because now she's like one of my best friends which is it's cool that's lovely <laughs> do you tell her everything yeah everything everything pretty much i i've also confessed to a lot of stuff that i did like as a teenager now and just like oh like i'd kind of drop it in conversations like oh yeah by the way that time i snuck out um excellent excellent um i understand also uh that with the gig situation right now i know that you guys are in freezing temperatures and of course it's never going to be conducive to gigs but um, you're also, um, I believe, currently locked down um, at the moment. Yes. How long until? Until we're out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> until we're free? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Not under capitalism. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, apparently the lockdown... So th- there's several elements to our lockdowns which are very strange and never backed by scientific results. Oh, God. Just kind of like our premiere just wanting to be like a supreme leader or something oh great uh so we had a curfew going for a couple of weeks um from 10 p.m to 5 a.m mm-hmm. that's supposed to stop on monday and then they were also closing everything on sundays like <laughs> okay uh, and that's today's supposed to be the last day that that's happening uh but otherwise like there's rules about how many people can go to like It'd be in a gathering and uh, bars are closed. Dancing has been illegal for a couple of years. We had about one month of being uh, like legally allowed to dance, but now it's, it's back to being illegal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No one can go to restaurants or anything, but they can do takeout. But yeah, we'll see if things are changing. Uh, It's, it's hard to, I don't know how the economy is holding up. Like surely business owners, um, people, that needed to be out, you know, out and working and everything. And even also the arts industry as well. Everyone must be just kind of flat entirely. Yeah, you could feel a, a sense of despair because like the first year that this was all happening, there were still a lot of like kind of little parties going on. And like, especially the scene that I'm a part of in Montreal, like people really like they're, they're not trying to party just to party like they really want to make sure they're not gonna like spread covid and like they're being careful mm-hmm. um so like you know they they had like masks rules and all that uh but like this year like since the the second like lockdown happened again like for new years like no one even tried anything like it was just like there has been no partying whatsoever. Watched a movie and went to bed. Well, no, I yeah. I, I went to a little little thing. Oh, okay. but um, <laughs> 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 but like you know, everyone was just kind of like within their like little friend groups, like four or five people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, even that was illegal, you know. Oh my but God. we were all just doing it still. Yeah. Um, but I actually uh, I got a ticket uh, last year for New Year's. Little anecdote. Wait, what? Um, yeah. Guess how much money uh let me let me think like 400 400 up more bullshit what 600 and that's this is this is the standard ticket that they're giving to people for covid related things and it's the rules are very ambiguous and anyways a thousand five hundred and fifty dollars oh yes oh god my wallet is screaming right now holy <laughs> shit really they can charge yes. you that much 
Yeah, well, because the thing is, is like the Quebec premier is just kind of making decisions without consulting the Canadian, like uh, the the parliament, mm -hmm. uh, the federal government, and not even just like he has a majority here in Quebec, so he's not even consulting the other parties in Quebec. He's just like br bringing out these laws, and then like if you disobey, like you disobey it, you're out past curfew, a thousand five hundred and fifty dollars. You know. Wow. Um, wow. And what I was doing was there was no curfew at that time. It was la last year, 20, uh, New Year's 2021. Mm -hmm. We were seven people. Uh, we went into like we trespassed into like this kind of tunnel um, <laughs> and we set up like a like a DJ thing and we had our masks like that was part of like the rules that we gave ourselves. Like if they catch us, like they'll pity us. We're freezing cold. We have masks on and we're seven people dancing <laughs> like to techno and they we still all got tickets. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I got to say trespassing into a tunnel. <laughs> Well, yeah, but then charge me for the ticket of trespassing in a tunnel. I doubt it's a thousand five hundred. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Well, uh, is that fine paid, <laughs> or or is it still sitting there? <laughs> um, we're we're gonna try to contest it. Yeah, we're we're yeah. like we're still in the grace period of deciding whether we plead guilty or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, is it a criminal charge? Yeah. Well. Uh, what? Yeah. Really? I mean, what does that mean? You're the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so as in, as in uh, well, I mean, if it's a fine, then so a criminal charge means that if you are pleading anything, right? Like if you have to plead guilty or not guilty, then at the end of it, you might have a criminal record on your hands. Oh, yeah. Do you want to oh. potentially get a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we're we're in contact with one. Um, Good, but it's like okay. we wanted to plead as a group, and then he he's honestly giving us a pretty decent price from what I've understood. Uh, mm -hmm. but we're, yeah, we're just not sure yet what we want to do. Cause then if we have to pay the lawyer and then pay the ticket and then pay court fees, then it's going up to 2000, you know, like if we lose, so. Might want to check that. Yeah. You feeling okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I mean. Have I ball with you? No, no, okay. it's, uh, this has been like, you know, like I, it happened, you know, like I said, 2021 and then they said, you'll get a ticket within three months and then we never got it. So then like those three months I was stressed out. And then I stopped being stressed out because I was like, wait a second, like, because I really like it, com in comparison to like people having house parties and like people actually doing things to endanger like people for for COVID. Like I was not doing any of that. Like it was just like it was like a loophole of the law because like when I when I was outside, you know, we were seven people masked. And then the next day I went to take a walk and there's hundreds of people ice skating with no masks. Hmm. But I got a ticket, you know? Interesting. So it's like, it just doesn't make sense. But anyways, then I thought I wasn't going to get it. And then it came back again. So I've I've lived my up and downs with this tickets. Nothing can phase me anymore. <laughs> Look, I mean, if you do end up getting a criminal record, that's pretty hardcore. I mean, you can you can oh. truly say that you are, you are uh, a criminal to society, a menace to society. Um, That'd be a shame, though. I've worked so much with kids in music, you know, and then I wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Do you work? Do you work with kids in music? What do you do? I did. Uh -huh. um, so I start, well, not anymore, but uh, yeah. I I did like this thing where I was teaching DJing and production to like, um, what was the age group? I think it was like nine to 12 year olds. Oh, cool. <clears throat> and I did that for a few months and then COVID hit. And then after I joined this uh, organization called Les Ateliers Speech, mm -hmm. where we go into high schools, like I was assigned one high school with a with a partner and we basically like, we end up having like about 30 students that are assigned to us, like people that 
willingly wanted to join the program and were motivated. Mm -hmm. And we produced two like full songs with them Holy throughout crap. the school year. Nice. So it's like, you know, we ask them like, okay, first we try to get to know them. Like what, what kind of genre are you into? Like, okay, you like hip hop, you like Afro, like, uh, okay. And then like, do you like, like sad music? Like, okay, then that's going to be minor chords. You like happy music, major chords, you know, I learned a bit of theory there. Nice, but, um, nice, nice. But, but yeah, no, it was a really cool program. And then at the end there was like a show. Oh, cool. Talent show with their music. How do, how do you feel that the uh, nine to 12 year olds do in performances when performing live? Do you find most of them are shy or do you feel like uh, they're well and truly built into their ego? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, for so for that group of people, that uh, the second job, they were more like 13 to 18. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we it's, it's funny because there's some people that are like so shy and yet like when they they have no reason to be in a sense like there's this one girl she was like terrified of joining and she tried to back out many times and we wouldn't let her but oh. like she was so good yeah. you know like if she really really wanted to we could have but there's just like also the kind of person that's like no i don't want to I'm like yeah come on and like you know yeah. you can tell that they're like it's not a solid well now we're getting on the consent stuff but, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but like <laughs> <laughs> but like this is different like it's you different know with kids. she needed to be pushed <laughs> uh, oh my god oh god i'm gonna get canceled for this podcast seriously <laughs> thank you no, good uh, thing you could edit <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's almost too good to edit um no it's context people there's context. Yes. Don't don't ever take me out of fucking context, please. Mm -hmm. Honey Drip, you have let me uh you know, talk and babble um, and comment on your happenings in your life and uh, Montreal <laughs> as well. But I'd love to let you uh, plug whatever there is going on with you and your career at the moment. Um, tell me, what have you got coming up that you'd like to actually uh, tell the world? Um, well, I have a remix that I made for uh, a Montreal singer. Her name is La Hua. Mm. And the remix EP is coming out uh, on February 11th. February 11th. Yeah. Put that in your calendars, folks. Yeah. I'm not going to... I was about to say the lineup, but I, it's probably not for me to, to share. So just stay tuned for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Excellent. Um, do, you, do you have an idea as to what kind of uh, music you might be putting in your mix as well? Oh, yes. In my mix, um, I, I tried to do... Because every time I make a mix, for especially for like online stuff, I uh -huh. usually tend to go to the more down-tempo stuff because when I DJ, I, I don't really get the chance. I'm trying to make a dance floor move, you know? Yeah. So I usually end up taking like slower stuff for my mixes, but I realized that if ever, you know, I wanted to try and share a mix to give people an idea of how I am as a DJ for like a dance floor, I didn't have one. So this is kind of what this mix is for. Oh, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate so it, that. So it starts at 160. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> but like also my 160 is like not like the typical 160. I don't know. I feel maybe it's just like there's something up with my ears, but like right. I feel like the music I listen to, like even if it's up there in BPMs, it still like doesn't feel fast, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's um, the kind of broken beats that you're working with, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but anyways, the mix itself, like, so it's it's meant to be a dance floor mix, but uh, I'm not going to lie. It does lose its energy at one point, but it was just, it was kind of like, I was just trying to go down in the BPM. Yeah, yeah. So it just kind of naturally <laughs> happened. I should have switched it around. You got, but... you got to about 180 and you're like, I've gone too far. I need to go back. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, that's cool. Uh, I I listened to your Shift Radio um, live stream, uh, or rather, watched that uh, YouTube video, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of the stuff that you were making, like I could definitely see, like um, not only the fact that you've been working as a DJ, definitely you know very well, um, even before you were producing, but also um, the fact that you've got so much energy that you need to really put out there mm-hmm. <laughs> once these gigs come back, and I do hope they come back for you very soon. And thank you very much for trying to emulate that energy for us here on the show on spinning around here i appreciate it something that i've been thinking about with mixes and i want to see where you feel about this uh is that there are two ways to record a mix um and so that there is uh the perfect take which i feel like a lot of people do um and then there is the secret method um which i like to call the frankenstein um (laughs) Tell me a little bit about what you do, um, because I think we were talking about this a little bit before the interview, and you might like to do the latter. Yeah, I've actually never done a perfect take mix for like a, like a mix that I've been giving online for radio or anything. Like the only times that I have perfect take mixes are when they're recordings from like a festival that I've played. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I do is when I started DJing, I had I got like a tractor controller, like a just oh, like yep. the the small it's the z1 so it's just like a mixer two channels crossfade um so i always use that and when i started off doing that i would really just like record the full mix and then like there there was no perfect take if i messed up i restarted and that was that and it would take a really long time yeah (laughs) and it's stressed out yeah Yeah. well especially because it's like when you know that you're getting around the end it's like you really (laughs) hope that you're not going to mess up because then it's just like the loss is so much bigger you know yeah you panic so much yeah yeah um But now, since I've, like, started producing a bit more, I realized that, like, it's just so easy to put it on Ableton. I know people that actually do their whole mixes on Ableton. I'm not quite sure how they do that exactly. I have an Uh idea. But uh, what I do is I'll record my mix, and if I mess it up... um, Like, if I mess up too many times, I just restart. But if I mess up, like, a couple of transitions, I'll just stop the... Like, I'll pause. So in the recording, there's a moment of silence, then I restart... And get it right that time. And then mm-hmm. I just take off that whole part where I messed up. Hell yeah. And it just makes it a lot of le- less time consuming. So now you're, instead of spending like six hours on a mix, you're now able to just get it out in like two hours. Depends. It still takes me a long time. <laughs> I'm I'm very like, <laughs> I'm very nitpicky. This one, it was actually kind of like an exercise for me to to not take so long to make it because I was like, you know what? I'm trying to do a dance floor mix. Like when I play on the dance floor. You're on the fly. Like for an actual dance floor. Like, yeah, I'm on the fly. So I kind of want to give a bit of that that feeling with this mix. And, you know, there is like a particular transition in my mix that I'm really not fond of, but I'm like, you know what? Oh, really? Yeah, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go anyways. It's yes. it's at the end of the mix, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always try to make my mixes really captivating at the beginning so then whatever happens later on people will have the first impression still like in their mind you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. does it say does it say much about you as a person do you like to be captivating at the start and then you start to reveal your true colors (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe a little, honestly. It's true really? that I've always put a lot of importance on on first impressions. Um, I don't like my true colors are, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing scary, but, uh, maybe I'm less, uh, charismatic or entertaining after a certain point. Do you, ha do you have a little crazy in you? Just a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit, but like a good crazy, honestly, my, my, like the people that surround me could definitely vouch uh, for me. Oh, nice. That, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. My, my crazy is bad crazy. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, for example. For example, <laughs> I have, um, I feel as though, okay, so I have like periods of, uh, it's not, it's not like actual clinical mania, right? Mm -hmm. But I have periods where I just go a little cra crazy like that. I, okay. I really like do lots of things. I say a lot of shit. Um, and I'm sober, completely sober. Um, but there will be moments where I'm just overflowing with energy and I can't really do much about it except for just be completely outrageous. <clears throat> I'll make a lot of, <laughs> I'll make a lot of promises to people. Um, I'll say a lot of things that I don't mean. Um, and then I kind of end up in this spot where I'm sort of like, Oh shit. Um, I have to clean up the mess that I just made when I wasn't like fully there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that's my kind <laughs> of crazy. You become uh, outrageous. I love that. Such a powerful word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about what about your crazy? What what's your crazy that comes out? Um me it's like kind of like mood swings that I can't keep up with. Oh. And like I'll be feeling like one way and then I just switch and I'm like you know, like from really down to happy to like mm. pensive to like, okay, I got to do yoga like live. And then <laughs> <laughs> to like, never mind, like I'm making like muffins. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's just like, <laughs> so it's just kind of hard to keep up with. <laughs> Have you ever thought, because um, there are a lot of artists here um, that I've interviewed on the show uh, who lived with this undiagnosed for a while, but then found out that they had this and have fixed their lives entirely. Do you, have you ever thought about ADHD? That you might potentially have it? You know, that's been something that I've been thinking about like a lot recently. And I've been wondering, like, is it worth it for me to get diagnosed? Because if I do get diagnosed, then like my options are, well, from what I understand, kind of limited. Like it's like I could take pills, right? Mm -hmm. Which would help me concentrate. I do have a lot of issues with like self-discipline and procrastination. And I know that that could be linked to um, to ADHD, they're saying. Definitely, yeah. Um. But then, like, aside from, aside from, like, taking pills, like, you know, I don't think therapy can, I know there's, like, certain exercises, but, like, I don't think therapy is necessarily something that's related to helping people with ADHD. Yeah. I think most of the so, time they do resort to just chemical intervention. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, I try to stay away from, yeah. from pills as much as possible. That's good. That's good. Because I see a lot of nature behind you. Um, you've got <laughs> Buddha there. Um, the, the great Gautama. <laughs> Um, Siddhartha, rather. Um, and also, is that a Monstera? Massive yeah. Monstera behind you? Yeah. She's looking healthy. From Ikea. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've noticed that when you get plants from places that you don't expect them to be healthy, they tend to last longer. I don't know if they injected it with some weird pesticide, but like 100%. every other plant that I got from somewhere else just dies and it just breaks my heart. So... Hey, that's the. I uh, think I've resorted to Home Depot and IKEA. This is the benefit of big industry. Plants. <laughs> big industry. They'll they'll give you better plants. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, so, uh, from what I understand, cannabis is um, completely legal in all of Canada. Yeah. So once again, Quebec loves to stand out. Uh, they there is <laughs> there are certain peculiarities 
like ver- like with Quebec versus the rest of Canada. Um, here in Quebec, you aren't allowed to grow weed, mm-hmm. um, but you can you can smoke it. And there's other like parts of the law, but overall, like yeah, uh, weed is legal here, and it's actually was legalized on my birthday. Oh, I assume that that yeah. was a fantastic birthday that you had. It was. Uh, it was great, and I find it represents me very well. <laughs> I I do love weed. Okay, <laughs> excellent. <Yeah. laughs> I think there are a lot of people that probably do as well. <laughs> Not me, because I have sponsors that I need to impress. Um, <clears throat> so, anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you've had fun. Yes, it was great, and I uh, can't wait to to listen to the show. Okay, excellent. Um, people, thank you so much uh, for tuning in uh, for another week of Spinning Around. Please stay tuned for at 7 p.m. AEDT. We also have uh, Sydney local Mincy of Extra Spicy fame, the Sydney group that has been taking over the bass scene uh, right here in Australia. So please stay tuned in for that. You've been listening to Spinning Around with Hailey Minogue on Area 3000 playing Honey Drip right now. <laughs>